Hi, this is Lovely. And this is your boy, Light. And welcome to All Up In Your Business Podcast. Did you ever notice, like, I don't say this is your boy, Light. I said this is your boy, Light. It's like this all <laughs> run in together, mush upward. Have you ever so noticed? you're from the South? No. <laughs> no, I'm actually... You want to know why? Because I speak your language, so it just sounds like this is your boy, Light. And this is your boy, Light. <laughs> it works. It works. No, I told you I'm fluent in two languages. <laughs> Bonnets and whatever the, the natural Queen's language or the Queen's English or whatever that crap called it. Whatever. I was watching a podcast this morning that Rebel sent me and it was this dude. Focus, come back. But this dude said the reason we speak well and doing Ebonics is because the, our natural African language didn't have G's and some stupid crap. It was funny. <laughs> it was funny. Okay. I'm there you go. Okay. But we have to do this. That's a part of the show. It's very much so. There you go. However, you messed up the introduction. You want to start over again? Nope. You're going to get this <laughs> and you're going to like it. There you go. Good. Okay. Welcome to All Up In Your Business Podcast, a place where two opinionated siblings come together to discuss black mental health issues in a raw, honest, and in-your-face manner. I'm Lovely. And I'm Light. Come with us as we explore black mental health highs, lows, and what the who do the eyes, ears, and mind of two siblings who are recovering every day, or at least trying to. Sit back and be prepared to shake your head, laugh, cry, and scream. Right. Let's begin the journey. So good people, thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. It's a podcast that we're really, I know I'm really, really excited to have everyone joining us on. Uh, I have two good friends of mine. Uh, I would like for you guys to introduce yourselves and then we'll talk about what the title of the podcast is. Okay. Now you can't be quick. You can't, get <laughs> know, your voices right? ready. You can't, this is not one. Project, there you go. <clears throat> Sit up, project from the diaphragm, do all of those things. I will cut your voice about it. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Santoli. And I'm Joshua Santoli, or maybe some of you may remember me as Joshua Frazier, since we'll be going back to childhood during this lesson. There so, we go. Yeah. There we go. Thank you very much for visiting us. Um, the title is From the Closet to the Courthouse, The Process of Acceptance, which I thought was really good. I love the title. I know, right? Like, we, like, I heard it and was like... Oh, okay. All right. And we were and we were we were on some Pride's Dynasty type stuff, and I was like, "Yes," but it was like, "No, that's no." But this, much this better. yes, it does yeah. because it describes from what I I've heard through light. It's right. kind of it. I understand exactly where it comes from, and it makes perfect sense. Mm. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. The interview will be given by Light and Lisa. Shall sit here and giggle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it sounds like a bad Whatever. <laughs> so, Santoli and I met, I, I think, Phil Santoli. I call it, Phil Santoli goes by Santoli. Mm -hmm. Joshua goes by Joshua Josh. Mm -hmm. Either one? Yeah, either one. Okay, I'm going to say Josh. We'll put asterisks inside of the There you go. We're going we're gonna to do all that to make sure. But I met Santoli. I, I keep thinking it's 20, it was 2014, right? Mm -hmm. You keep saying 2015. I was way wrong. Mm -hmm. But it was April of 2015. It was doing the awards. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, dude, now I remember that part. Exactly left that, that right afterwards. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I met Santoli in, at, at 20 in April of 2015, um, and it was funny when I first met Santoli. Uh, we were at an award ceremony for work, and when I met him, 
uh, me being the person that I am or the vain individual that I'm in. I'm sitting, I'm, I, I go up stage, on stage, I'm getting an award and I look out and I see this other nice dressed guy and I'm like, oh, I got some competition in here. I was like, that's not that dude dressed nice. I like that. I was like, I, and I think they introduced you to somebody, somebody maybe. They may have said they referenced him, and I was like, "It's a new guy." Yeah, new guy, and mm -hmm. I was like, "Okay, I, I said I got, I said nah, I need some competition. I got, I was getting tired of beating the other managers, so I needed somebody to kind of make me up my game." Um, but nonetheless, we met, and then over the course of time, we had, you know, we had different conversations, and as we had those conversations, what stood out to me was the genuineness in which he approached people, and if you didn't know his stories, like he he led with who he was not the point a uh, point that he was trying to make and you wouldn't really get that but when you met him you always felt good when you came away from meeting him and so one of the things that stood out to me was he never came up to me and introduced or said hey i'm santoli i'm this or this is this he just kind of lived and when he brought you into his world you it, you just it felt natural it just felt like this smooth transition so in the beginning and, and the, the way he did it was, I didn't, he didn't come up to me and say, hey, my name is Santoli, I'm gay, I have a husband. He didn't do any of those things. What he did was, he just was Santoli. And so once he started talking, once he started talking about his husband, you didn't feel like awkward or funny. You just was like, all right, that's cool, dude. And as he's talking about Joshua, you start to know Joshua because of what he's saying. So over the course, that throughout the course of all of those relationships, uh, I, I kind of moved on and went into some other ventures. And as I went on, I would always describe him as one of the best human beings I'd ever met. And he I think it's all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I know it makes him, I don't know if it makes him feel funny or whatever, but when I say that, I say it as no, not. No, that's about right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you gotta be you all day. But it, it, it's just based upon how he, like I said, the genuineness in which he cares about individuals. So that's how, kind of how we met. And I wanted to hear his story. I wanted to hear, as we, when um, Lovely and I decided to do this podcast, my thought went to, I want real, regular, what as I call regular people telling real stories. And because I wanted regular people telling real stories, I wanted individuals who could be genuine, transparent, and authentic and telling them who, I don't think either one of us have. We both have our ideologies, if you will, like our points of view, but neither one of us feel like we're trying to overpower people with a political aim or something. It's like, no, this is, she is who she is, love her for it. And she doesn't realize she brings out my personality more and more. Um, I am who I am, I'm stubborn as a mother, and you're not gonna change this dude. But he's on the internet now, so right. it was a smidgen of change. I'm just saying. <laughs> See? It's still tough as a... I know, <laughs> but, but you love me enough to be like, put a picture on here. I'm like, hey, where's your picture? <laughs> you were like, I'm going to do it. Just give me time. Like, okay. My thought was, let me send you the picture. You post it. <laughs> I, can't, I can't post pictures from your page. <laughs> but anyway, that's kind of how we met. And we, we arrived at this moment because I wanted to hear and we wanted to sit down because with, with Joshua and uh, Santoli. Um, Joshua Santoli. But <laughs> Santoli and Joshua, let me get uh, Because we know that there, there, as we deal with mental health, there's lots of individuals who, are, who, who may be in the open now or no longer in the closet. But I want to talk about what a, a genuine, loving relationships look like, and in, in doing so, not just the trials to get there, but the victories and, and the enjoyment and the passion 
of living the life that you've been fortunate and blessed to, to, to be able to live. And so that's what this interview and that's what this podcast is going to be about, introducing people to Joshua and Santo. <laughs> and let me introduce myself. This is lovely. So my background with this is, and light knows my uncle who helped raise me. Can you say your uncle's name? Because you continue to say my well, uncle, my uncle. Because <laughs> I, I just, I feel so. So we called him Star or Stacy, depending mm. on what wig came out. Okay. Or <laughs> Vernon, if he was going to hurt you, you always want a star. Star cooked, mm. star cleaned, star did wonderful things. Mm. Stacy was a little different. Vernon would fuck you up and you just wanted to stay <laughs> so far away from that place. But um, ever since I can remember, my uncle was in my life. My father wasn't in my life, so my uncle kind of took over. But what I became was the porcelain doll. So all of my Barbra Streisand, Celine Dion, Cats the Musical, Hello Dolly, you go for it, I'm there, Ginger Rogers, wow. Spread a Stare, that was my life. Nice. But we were in the hood. <laughs> but really, it was being such a, he was everything to me. Like, it was him, like my mom, him, and he raised me to be the woman that I am because he was, I think for him, I was kind of the pass through. Mm. So like what he couldn't be openly, gotcha. he gave it to me. Wow. So I was that person for him and being so close to him, I got to see some of the things that he lived through, mm. through his eyes. And, you know, he was born in the late forties. So he lived the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties and nineties as a gay man. Oh, wow. And watching him struggle mm. to figure it out. He didn't mm. even make it to this to point where mm. he could see people getting married mm. or, you know, really being mm. proud of yourself or the yeah. internet kind of kicking in. That wasn't his thing. So all the things that I know of him is watching him live the beautiful life that he led, but also watching that internal struggle right. of being such a young person, knowing exactly who you are, mm. but not being able to explain it to the world or show it to the world. So when Light came to me and he was talking about this particular topic, I love the idea because for me, it's kind of like a full circle. You get to see a couple that just loves each other because it could be women, That's right. bears, dogs. It doesn't matter. Well, I guess the dogs was talking to us. I need to think about that. Even bears. Ooh, oh, my. Um, but, but it's just... Ahead, I'm just saying. You know I watched it. Um, but it was just a beautiful topic a that we had. Yeah, I know you did. It was a beautiful topic, but it also is a poignant moment for us because when you are referencing, when you're talking about your life, you can't help but at some point have to identify yourself. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, and, exactly. and you should. And, and, you should and be I able think to. that right. when you, you know, the stigma of, you know, a minority gay mm -hmm. in this world or a black gay man mm -hmm. or whatever you mm -hmm. identify as. When that's there's so many walls mm -hmm. that are set to like take away your self esteem, it's to block your growth. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what's beautiful is that now you get to see so many people put their own spin on it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I am proud to say that we're doing this topic because it's not just a topic, it's a life. You know, it's right. it's just and I know that for me, I'm gonna learn a lot just listening to you guys and Figuring out for me, like in my little daydream, I always picture my uncle. Where would mm -hmm. he be if he mm -hmm. was here That's now, cool. and That's how he would be able mm -hmm. to live that? So, right. Right. That's, That's my up. story. 
So yes, question dear. for you. So yes. did he live his life publicly? Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, wow. We got okay. to do the drag shows. He mm. ran them. Wow. We, I, when I say that some of the best shows I've ever seen was the drag queens coming out. Some of the best parties I wasn't supposed to be at because <laughs> <laughs> I should have not wow. been there were hmm. just amazing people who, I mean, like they would walk in and by the time you saw them later on, it was full fledged dancing, singing, acrobats and drunk fist fights like you wouldn't believe. Hmm. I've seen some wigs that snatched off on It was amazing, <laughs> you know, but that, but that was them and both of his best friends died from AIDS, oh, like wow. within three months of each other. Wow. It just took his community down and he was the only one to live long enough, but I think it hurt him and haunted him because he made it made as it. far as he's, he wow. did and they didn't. Wow. So yes, did your question? Skill. Was that your question? Did I answer your question? You no. said you had a question. Because you're such a county girl, I was going to ask, did you prefer the Wiz or the, the, the Wizard of Oz? I didn't like either one of them. Those damn monkeys freaked me out. <laughs> how do you not like the Wiz? I but like I, I actually do understand how you don't like the Wiz because you're you. Yeah. <laughs> the the music was great, but like, why I got to see the show? You can't, you don't remember Michael Jackson, you know, can I mean, you Except see for that one scene when they had him. Can you see a brand new day, you know, when they was doing, really? The whole night. It was, I mean, that's all. You could just YouTube those clips and just watch the musical. Yeah, or you... you can just listen to it on your phone without seeing a picture. It's amazing. The monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> the monkeys and the whiz, the, the whiz were some disturbing looking monkeys. They were creepy. <laughs> Maybelline played yeah. the mess out of that role, right? <laughs> yeah. And those were some scary looking monkeys. They okay. Were, they were every white person's vision of what like black men actually are. Mm. Like that was just, ah, that was nasty. So, mm. nonetheless. Supersonic, <laughs> my visual self. <laughs> All, right, All right, so let's get started. Let's go. Let's go into our first question. So you, I seen, and, and and question number one has your name all written on it, Joshua. So I don't know how we get away from like having <laughs> saying totally go first. Okay. <laughs> so Joshua, can you talk to us about your life growing up? Uh, talk about the early years. Talk about this. This. Who was Joshua? Talk, introduce okay. the, the audience to Joshua. So, Free, Joshua Frazier, you say, right? Yeah, right. So that Joshua Frazier. Introduce us yeah, to Joshua Frazier. Yeah, Frazier. Um, grew up with a um, full household, mother mm -hmm. and father, mm -hmm. two sisters, middle child. Um, lived in Essex. I don't know if you're all familiar with mm -hmm. Walnut Grove, mm -hmm. down the street from East Rock. <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. And we were there from probably the age, I want to say, three until I was 12. And the reason I know this is because there is a video that they recorded of my fourth birthday in the house. Okay. Um, which was like probably my second fondest memory. I don't remember it, but I remember through the tapes. tapes. Okay, got So, um, grew up very strict, very sheltered, um, very Watch religious. Very religious as well. Sounds it when you... Okay. <laughs> However... It was a full household. Um, my father was a very sheltering individual. Mm -hmm. uh, no one could come over the house. Even if family came over, it was like, you don't open the door for no one. Um, even if his mother or grandparents would come over, you let us know if, you know who's coming over here. So these are things that were the norm. There was, there's a lot of things um, that were the norm for us. But looking at it now, it was a little odd. Mm -hmm. Looking back on it, I can see now, like, man, that was really psychotic. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it was real strict. Mm -hmm. um, every Sunday we went to church. 
Mm-hmm. We were in church. Um, as I got older, around the age of six, I then started wrestling. Um, and the purpose of me wrestling, initially, the story goes that I was outside playing with my sisters and I screamed like a little girl. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, you're going into wrestling. Now, my father was a wrestler. Um, his late brother was also a wrestler. Mm-hmm. So it kind of was like a family thing to wrestle. Okay. Um, started out at age six and I wrestled all the way up into high school. Oh, wow. Um, I took a two-year break in like 10th and 11th grade. However, before high school, until from six until high school, I did not want to do it. I didn't like doing it, but I was pretty much forced to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was nonstop. It was nonstop. I couldn't play any other sports because I was too small. Um, and my mom didn't really push back that hard. Mm-hmm. She would try a little bit, then it's oh well, you know, just going to do what your father says do. So. Wrestling was probably the largest aspect of my childhood. Um, It was all about focus. Um, There was no playing. This is not a game. You're out here to win. Um, When you see all these other little kids playing around, you don't play. You sit here and you focus um, because you need to be ready. Um, Then there was the aspect of the weight. You know, there's weight Mm -hmm. categories in wrestling. Mm -hmm. So what they had the habit of doing was having the older kids wrestle at the lower weight against the younger kids who were less experienced. Mm-hmm. So I wrestled probably every weight class, starting off at 35 pounds, 35 mm-hmm. pounds, 40 pounds, 45, 55, 65, all the way up to 110, I would say, when I was still wrestling for rec league. Oh, wow. And... Every single holiday, there was big tournaments, so I could not eat to make weight. Um, there were times when we'd have to do rigorous, you know, training and wear sweats to lose weight mm-hmm. to make weigh in and stuff. So um, I hated it. <laughs> so, question. So that's man. That's that's one serious. I I, I can't do the psychotic part. So as you're so. While you're enduring this, you just talked about how you hated it. So you, mm-hmm. you're, you're now in this phase. When did you first, like, did you hate it from the beginning? Or did, like, what were your thoughts as you were kind of going through this? Because when did that feeling of, I, I don't like this, kick into your mind? Or you, you started feeling that way? After I would lose, any match after I'd lose, I would cry. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd cry really bad. But there was no sympathy. There was no empathy no around it. Yeah. There was no nurturing about it. It was... Uh, Hmm. everyone's mood was kind of just done for the day because I lost. Mm-hmm. So, granted, I became really good. Okay. Like, when my name came up, everyone knew it. So, mm-hmm. it, even though I didn't like it, I didn't want to do it, it became what I did. Okay. So, it was just, you're going to do this. This is how you're going to train. You're going to wrestle, and you better win. You know, mm-hmm. this is what's going on. It's like, okay. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So... Now, did you win because you were trying, were you looking for um, affirmation from your family that you were good at it? Or it was just really really to keep them quiet? It was more so to keep them quiet. Mm -hmm. And like, I need to win because I don't feel like dealing with the repercussions. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't just my father. 
he wrestled with my coach mm. growing up. Mm. So they could pretty much do what they wanted to do, say what they wanted to say. It's not like, you know, so and he just sit there like, well, hey, you lost, you know. Yeah. And there were there were points when I when I won, of course, it was mm. like, you know, good job and everything, but it still didn't outweigh the feelings of when I was losing or when I was just like sick of it. Um we had practice Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. every single day of the week. We rested on Saturdays, sometimes Sundays. And even when the season ended, I would wrestle in I the, same thing. the um, I would wrestle wrestle over the over the break, mm-hmm. over the actual wrestling break. We would go in independent tournaments. What were the benefits of it? Like, I mean, today, what were the benefits of it? So, for me, the biggest benefit was learning how to focus. Mm-hmm. I guess. Um, discipline, um, learning to be calm, I guess, is what I learned to like, you know, I'm a very, I feel like I'm a very calm person yeah, already yeah, yeah. at heart, but I think it may have played on just by the, by the way I was groomed to get that. Um, I remember going up, I was always really mellow. I was never really a hyper kid. Um, from my perspective, my older sister was a little more hyper, very sociable, mm-hmm. extrovert. I'm more of an introvert. Um, and that may have developed based off of how those things, those things that played in, you know, I want to hear, so you say strict religious uh, mm-hmm. upbringing. Um, so when you say that, like what, what was the church environment like? I don't want to know the denomination, anything like that, but what was okay. the church environment okay. like? Okay. Um, okay. So from the way every single Sunday and Wednesdays, we went to church. Um, it was very strict, very conservative, even to the physical appearance of what, you know, what the women could wear. There was no makeup. There were no pants. Mia really was in shorts. Um, very legalistic. Mm-hmm. Um, no cussing, no swearing. Um, you pray, you stay awake in church. You know, we were little kids. There's, this is not a time to play, mm-hmm. you know. Um, every year we'd go to this convention with these other churches, and it was three services a day for about a week. Um, I remember my dad would call it a vacation. I would die. <laughs> it was a vacation. <laughs> I um, would die. Now he called it, he considered it a vacation because on the final day we'd we'd go to Hershey Park after um for one day. So <laughs> you know, that's really was like, all right, are we gonna to go to Hershey Park after this is over? Okay, we'll, we'll go to Hershey Park. Yes. So even just growing up, the things that we were taught in the house, um, how to conduct ourselves was all related back to the church aspect, the church mm-hmm. perspective. Um, however, it was very, I was very ambiguous um, in terms of any type of um, sexuality growing mm-hmm. up. That wasn't a topic that mm-hmm. we really, we, we learned about, you know, sex in school, but it wasn't a topic as of you like women, you like men, because mm-hmm. um, I was ambiguous to it. That wasn't on my mind. I had, I had bigger fish to fry. I'm trying to figure out what I can do to get out of this whole, you know, but there was no escape. That was my, that was my life. And it was like, when is this ever going to end? That's what I would ask myself. And really? I didn't see so it end. What, I didn't see what, it end to it. And, and I actually, just because I do want to come to you because I want to hear what you know, your experience was like, mm-hmm. but what story, so when did that, when did you feel like, when is this, when did that, that, that enter in? When is this going to end? What age, if you can remember what age around about what age did you start feeling like when is this going to end and the end what were you talking about ending what was what were you talking about was it church was it the wrestling what was what were just you the whole cycle mm-hmm. the wrestling the strict 
the strict routine of it. Um, and I'd say probably around fifth grade was when I was really like, I'm, I'm so sick of this. I don't want to mm. do it anymore. But it's what That's no one else early. is really no one else is really taking a full blown stand to say, mm. stop doing this. Stop making him do this. He don't want to do it. You know, my mom gave a little a little discussion, but she wouldn't go mm-hmm. the full stream of saying he's not doing this. That's it. I'm, I'm done with it. So since no one would say anything, it was OK. This is what I'm going to do. It was status quo in your home. Exactly. I mean, and, and, you know, what I've learned um, in talking with people or having really in-depth conversations about home is that, you know, that is your reality, whether you, anybody else sees it or not. And if you are raised like that from a very young age, mm-hmm. anybody telling you anything different sounds right. so foreign. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times, I think parents who feel like they're trying to protect you, mm-hmm. but exactly. really they're just transferring their fears onto you. Mm-hmm. That's a good and, way to put that. You know, yeah. because I think we, as a child, you look at your parent as this very strong, large person. But then when you become an adult and you think back to what they did, you realize how small and scared they were. Exactly. And if they can't control anything else, I can control this situation. Right. And I absolutely understand that. You know, because if you came from a hurt place, even if you have children, it just continues until somebody breaks the cycle. Right. Yeah. yeah. So a couple, two things I wanted to say um, right, with the um, so with my other two siblings, um, I would, we had a me and my older sister were really close at the time. Um, me and my younger sister fought like like siblings fight, but she was a lot younger than me. She was born in ninety one. I was born in eighty six. So we didn't really have a full connection. Mm-hmm. Um, while me and my older sister were eighteen months apart. However, they kind of, when I would complain, they had like this jealousy attitude towards me. Well, at least he's spending time with you. Paying attention to you. So I'm like, but I don't want to do it, y'all. I don't want to do this. Like, well, at least he's doing something. I wish he would do something with me. That was their Mm. perspective. So I'm like, oh, you know. You're not going to win. I'm not going to win. Which way you go, yeah. So um, that's one. That's one point um the other point was we were disciplined to the full max and we weren't bad kids looking back we weren't you know drinking or sneaking or doing stuff that we shouldn't be doing but if you knock over a glass by accident my dad was a firm believer in discipline Mm -hmm. and he disciplined all the time and anywhere he did not care oh wow um you know, so looking back on, I'm trying to, I try to understand and comprehend it. Like, you know, is this, could there have been a better way to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember one time he, he didn't ask me, but he tried to make, he, he said, you had a good childhood, didn't you, Josh? That's how it, it came across. And I'm like, well, it was okay. You know, mm-hmm. he said, what do you mean it's okay? And I'm like, well, you asked the question. So I'm going to answer you. I'm like, you know, there's a lot of things that we wanted to do that we could have done that was good and healthy Mm -hmm. as a child. Interactions, you know, no one, no other kids could come over our house ever. You know, no one's staying over here. Um, And y'all aren't staying over anyone else's house. Um, One of my first cousins would come over and spend the night. (laughs) And the PK (laughs) from across the street. Yes. And they were girls. They were the only other two. So... 
that's something else I look at growing up. Even though I wrestled all this time, my closest relationship was with women. Mm-hmm. It was all girls. I don't have any young, young male childhood friends that I can say, oh, I grew up with this, you know. Man, mm-hmm. we used to just done exist. Oh, wow. I spent time with them in the school on the wrestling mat. That was it. That was it. When we left there, that relationship ended. There was no calling or meeting up on the weekends. None of that. So it wasn't really a relationship to me. I didn't know anything about these people. I just know I wrestled with them. So 12, 12 years old, you know, I'm still wrestling. You know, we move out of Essex, move into my grand with my father's mother in her attic. Um, supposedly our parents wanted to save money to buy a house. And it was five of us in the attic. Which was a pretty much unfinished attic. Mm-hmm. No AC, no heat, you know. But this is only temporary. Because after this, we're looking to buy a house. This is what my perspective of what their plan was. Mm-hmm. Um, after just knowing what I know about what they were trying to do. So to make a long story short, that did not happen. We lived there for a year and a half. With my grandmother, who was... Was she as strict, or what, what was hers? Yes. But hers was a strict in a different way. Um, she was just... She wasn't a nice individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I know she loved us, but she was just... I don't know if it was based off of her past. Uh, my father, My father's father died when he was eight. Oh, wow. So she had three boys. She never remarried. So I think that may have played mm-hmm. into how what made her who she was. Mm-hmm. And what made him who he turned exactly. out to be. Because if you're um, trying to discipline mm-hmm. three boys and you're thinking with the rod, exactly, you know, right. because you right. need to keep them in place. And then that boy mm-hmm. then has children. Exactly. And what was normal for him has mm-hmm. to be normal for his family. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So um, speaking on that real quick, I will say my father did say he was bullied growing mm-hmm. up. Um, he was real thin mm-hmm. and at one point there was a breaking point when he decided he wasn't going to get bullied no more and he started lifting weights. Mm-hmm. So that takes us to the, that kind of takes into the next mm-hmm. aspect of my childhood. Um, 13, we move out of my grandmother's house and we move into this other little rental place around the corner. Um, that's also the year my parents get a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to the divorce though, from my recollection, he wasn't there that often anyway because he spent a lot of his time working out. He became an all-natural professional bodybuilder, and that consumed a lot of his time. East. Um, I heard that. Yeah, yeah. He's won world championships, and so he was great at it. Um, and for me, that kind of, I was just like, okay, you know, they're for Josh in my cut, in my cut. I'm like, yeah, 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 I know, I know. So I don't have any type of reaction when I see people working out in the gym and like, oh, you want them? Like, this is not really exciting me. <laughs> I've lived this my whole life. Yes, you look good, you look great. Okay, you know, I'm over it. Um, <laughs> so my parents get a divorce, and of course, we stay with my mom, and it. Things get really rocky, you know. From a finance perspective, I just know my mom didn't have it. Um, I felt almost like I had to... Well, I was told. Let me make that part clear. My father would always ask me this question for years if I was ready to be the man of the house. Um, And I thought, like, what? Are you, like, sick? Are you dying? Is something wrong that I need to know about? What is going on? But I think he was making... 
preparations. preparations, which I didn't know about. And from my perspective, you shouldn't know. Yeah, right. But the way they would talk to us as if our life was perfect almost. And I, for the longest time, I thought my parents, they're going to be together forever. When I was young, I'm like, they're not going to break up. What, what, what is a divorce? You know, that wasn't something we were used to. Uh, and picking back up, Josh, one of the, the things that you were saying, so a couple of questions come to mind. Uh, one, don't want to keep, like as you say, you're paraphrasing. Tell, tell okay. your story. That's the, okay. that, the, the one thing Lovely and I will tell you is, is, and even when we listen to these, we listen to our podcast over, this is therapy for us. And then when we have, and, and right now I, I have one friend uh, my, I call him County Boy T.O. Uh, he was telling me just how he, we all listen to a lot of podcasts, but he was just telling me when he listens to it, listen to this, how it's different things that he picks up and the impact that it has. But it's, this is therapy for us. We enjoy this mm-hmm. because of uh, what it's, it's doing for us in this whole process. We can't quote unquote, be call ourselves helping people. Our goal, our goal is to, to be helped and then to do this peer to peer. What do we call it? Peer to peer. Really? Therapy? Yeah, really what peer-to-peer, it is. Peer-to-peer, well, peer-to-peer sessions because yeah. really the truth is is that when you have those late night conversations you have with the people that you yep. love or the people mm-hmm. that you feel closest to usually leave you refreshed because you spend mm-hmm. all week or all day trying to fix everybody else. And, yes. it's, and a lot of the times it's not even that you need to be fixed. It's just that you need to detox everything that happened, mm-hmm. but you also, in trying to detox, you're trying to make sure that you don't pass any of that along to the person that you mm-hmm. trust mm-hmm. so they don't feel burdened with what's happening, you know? Right. So right. those late conversations, though, those conversations that just kind of cue you, mm-hmm. and you're like, because sometimes when somebody's like, me too, oh, I did that. When <laughs> somebody say me too, you're like, all right, okay, so I'm not crazy. But when I said mm-hmm. such and such, was that too far? Yeah. Oh, okay. Don't do that at work tomorrow. Oh, you yeah. Know? yeah, right. <laughs> I have lots of those days. <laughs> so, no, no paraphrasing. Feel free to do it. The only thing I'm going to do is there are certain words and certain points that I may drill down into. And one of the points mm-hmm. I want to drill down into or, or look into was when you were, you had mentioned. So, what was the, it, were, did your parents ever talk to you about, like, what caused the divorce or what, like, and then what were your thoughts in the divorce? Like, what, when, what were you and your sisters thinking and did you guys ever, because of the strict way you were brought up, were there any discussions or it just happened, that was it, and yeah. it was just a different life from there? So, there was never a sit down, like, we're going to talk about this, you know, me and your father getting a divorce. No, that didn't happen. Um, it usually doesn't happen. It just, wow. he, he was there a couple of days and his time got less. And less and less until he was gone completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but during that time, he was still kind of kind of control what I was, what he wanted for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Meaning what? What do you mean by that? So at this point, let's see. Before middle school ended, before I went to high school, he wanted me to go to Archbishop Curley mm-hmm. to get into the wrestling program. And they would have given me a full ride mm-hmm. if I would have wrestled for them. So I was good there. There was another offer also at Boys Latin, um, but I didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to go to Archbishop Curley because it was an all boys Catholic school. I'm like, eh, this is not for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I need some women in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a breaking point when the church got involved with this whole decision. Um, I remember the day 
my father had was kept on coming like, so you're going to you're going to go to curl. I'm like, I don't want to go. I'm not going to that school. And we went to church. And him and my mom aren't really on speaking terms. If they are, it's an argument <clears throat> over just probably every and any little thing because they're going through the breakup. He's not at, even at the house at this point. <clears throat> but he did tell me that if I go to Curly, he would stay. Hmm. So, what kind of guilt is that? Yeah, right. I was like, oh, oh. do I save you know. the family or do I save myself? Right. But I didn't believe it. I did not believe it. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I was still trying to learn the mind game, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but he told me that if, if I would have went, he would have stayed and he would not have left. But I he didn't. He told you this afterwards? No, this is before. before this is okay. still going, going when he's still, still trying okay. to, you know, get me to go. So I'm like, no, no, I don't want to. So we go to, we're still, my mom is still going to the church, you know. We're still actually active in the church. And um, we spoke to the pastor. And school, I believe, was, there was like some stuff that had to happen the following day for registration or what have you. But I actually stayed with my pastor that night. And he said, you know what, let him stay with me. And if your father wants you to go to tell him to come up here and call me and talk to me about it. Um, so that was the last. At that point, I didn't hear anything else about it. Um, and I just went on to a regular co-ed public school. Um, so, and it wasn't just like a bad school. I went to Kenwood. Um, I was in the baccalaureate program. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I was a retard just wrestling, you know. I was on honor roll. Yeah, 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 I yeah. made good grades, so... Focus. I was focused. That's <laughs> <laughs> what you learned. No right? Time to play. right. Yeah. Right. That's what you learned. So, um, so I didn't go. You know, he was already gone at that point. Most part, he was gone, and I kind of went into that role of, you know, trying to make sure that I've always been very protective mm -hmm. um, of my mom and my sisters. You mm -hmm. know, I try. I try. I was. I was kind of stressed because. It was just, you know, I felt like, all right, I got to make sure that they're here, they're there, you know. I would always think in the back of my head, where are they, you know. My mom worked retail. She'd be out late nights, and I remember not sleeping until I knew she was home. So I, I would lay there, but I'm like, all right, let me wait until she gets here. Then when she gets out, I'd watch out the window. Okay, she's in the house. Then I was good to go. Um, so that was my life up into high school. Santoli. Santoli. Let's talk about you. Sure. Okay, so same question. Can you talk about your life growing up, early years, what made you Santoli? Hmm. Hmm. Like I haven't had a chance to prepare. <clears throat> I'm not gonna bang the table. Um, so you <laughs> probably gonna sit. Josh, you, you're like me. I'm a hands person. Mm -hmm. He gonna sit. They, they, them two gonna sit there like expressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm expressive. I, I'll talk with my hands. I've learned not to. But go ahead. One of my earliest memories was, um, and I claim it as my first memory was uh, was being in my mother's bedroom, her laying on her back. Uh, she was pregnant with my little sister, the one that follows me, because uh, I have four sisters. Um, and we had a puppy who sat on my mother's, who was sitting on my mother's belly. 
and he had put his legs out, you know, to brace himself. And I noticed it to some degree, to whatever degree, but I'd ask, you know, what happened? Why, why did he just respond the way he did? And my mother said, because, you know, your baby sister's kicking. Um, and that's what I remember. I remember that conversation. I claim that as my first conversation. So I must have been about three and a half <clears throat> um, or younger since I was three and a half when she was born. But um, beyond that, um, I was four years old when I was molested by another little boy um, who was about three years older than me. Um, so what did a seven-year-old, you know, know what he was doing? You yes. Know, or how or why? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I remember, I'm almost certain I remember the first, like how that even began. Um, so I'll describe that for a second. <clears throat> I remember uh, being at uh, his home. I remember um, uh, he was going to show me something. And I remember... Um, us going outside, and I remember um, very vividly, I remember him walking and me following and me saying, I wanted to go get my friend. Um, and he was like, no, you know, I, this, I just want to show you this. And so we walked out to the shed, um, climbed up this little ladder, and at the uh, in the loft of the shed, a very small shed, in the loft of the shed, you know, I pulled my pants down and he, you know, humped humped mm-hmm. me basically um you know it was just it was just kind of weird you know mm-hmm. you know, little boy what's a little seven-year-old really doing nothing mm-hmm. um but um uh, and uh i remember uh, my friend came looking for me and uh, opened the shed door and looked around never looked up and left and once he left um i told uh, the other the older boy um to get off me and uh, because I wanted to go with my friend, mm-hmm. and I remember that, <clears throat> and I remember walking. I mean, climbing down the ladder, and uh, and seeing um, uh, a chicken egg because they they had you know some farm animals. I remember seeing a chicken leg on the, on the ground. Um, anyway, those are the things that I remember. I'm almost certain that was the first episode, but it lasted from four years old until I was twelve years old. And during same, the same boy, yeah, yeah, and during and only that boy. But um, during that process. Um, they, I, 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 I transitioned from being a prop to being a participant. And, you know, coming of age, there was some guilt associated with being a participant and liking it, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that's um, what really characterized my childhood, among other great memories, um, that really characterized my childhood because it, it spilled over and affected, um, you know, my self-perception. Mm-hmm. Um, First of all, I grew up with, with uh, two sisters, one older than me, one younger than me. I also was a middle child. I grew up in my mother's home. Um, my mother was a single woman who raised us, um, who had a boyfriend, um, who she eventually married. My father was somebody who I visited on the weekend, um, and maybe for 4th of July, which, which we did with uh, the Garcia side of the family, which was amazing. Um, Thanksgiving, we did with the Santoli side of the family. But um, I also had... Um, uh, two additional sisters um, and another little brother, but my childhood was in my mother's home with an older sister and a younger sister. And so, growing up like that, um, I wasn't like the other little boys. And I, it wasn't because of the things that had happened to me or were happening to me infrequently. It was because I was growing up among women. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember my second grade teacher, you know. Um, based on encouragement and, and, and prodding from my mother, teaching me in the kickball field, you know, to lean down and put your hands on your knees, you know, and kind of stance and get ready for the ball to come at you. Be that more, was, a little more manly. Be a little stance. more like a boy, exactly yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, 
So I, rem I just remember that I wasn't what I was expected to be. I do remember that. Um, by everyone, I think. Uh, and, uh, and some of the, you know, I was teased um, in school, probably beginning, probably, I would have to say, third or fourth grade. Third grade because I had glasses. I needed glasses. I grew up with glasses. Uh, thank God for LASIK. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, but then, uh, anyway, and then, you know, little boys start being little boys in, you know, uh, fifth grade, sixth grade, and so forth. And, uh, and so I was teased. I was picked on. Um, I was um, marginalized. I was set aside. Um, and some of that, you know, you just eventually pick up and you start, you know, nobody needs to do it to you because you start doing it to yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and, but I knew when I was 11 that I wanted to be in the military. My father was a Marine. And, uh, and so that's what I thought I was going to do lucky enough to get a scholarship to college and and was commissioned in the army as a lieutenant infantry lieutenant um which was uh the rest of the part of my life after i <laughs> left my childhood behind he, he, he jumped ahead jumped real quick right. then he went he, he went he went from 12 years old <laughs> to, 18. To, to 18 and you know he went right into lieutenant <laughs> so uh, my question is i am uh i am a product or a mesh of all things and when I was younger I was molested by family friends so our my brother and I our father had a best friend his daughter um she tried well she molested me but I threw myself out the top bunk because I was like we're not gonna like I literally was like I'd rather die than you touch oh, wow. me mm -hmm. um and then my father's brother um girlfriend had a son and he physically that is rape if you look at it now because mm -hmm. he, he he beat on me while he did it mm -hmm. and um i know for me the way i coped with those things were i didn't give them any power like my the way i coped with my guilt was you weren't going to have any say over my life you know well i thought you weren't going to have me. Mm, Let me just say that. Through. You know what I mean? So I guess my question for you is how did you cope with or what do you think helped um, you deal with the guilt that you were feeling as a result of the molestation that you went through? Like how did you transfer that into something more positive or negative? Hmm. Okay. Um, how did I cope with the guilt? I tell you um, two aspects. I'll talk about the childhood and then how I kind of um, used it for better than worse. So in my childhood, um, I didn't like who I was, and uh, eventually uh, failed the sixth grade. My mother um, thought instead that I had the potential, and I just didn't have the discipline, and uh, and she wavered me beyond the sixth grade. Um, but the the the, in doing so, she said, you're going to have to move in with your father. She didn't want me to have to move with my father. My father was, was an alcoholic. Um, and uh, and he, she didn't want me to pick up bad habits. But she couldn't do anything else with me. It was kind of the, the, the ultimatum, if you will. And, uh, and so, um, thankful to be waved on from the sixth grade and not have to repeat it. I moved in with my father, moved in with my stepmother. stepmother my stepmother was an amazing um, impression. Um, Lover to death uh, really helped to 
rehabilitate me. And I've never said that before. <clears throat> but when I was 10 years old, when I was 10 years old, uh, before sixth grade, I, uh, my conscious was birthed. I, I, my conscious was born. <clears throat> and I remember um, being in my bedroom, laying in my bed, and it was late at night, I should already been asleep. And I remember calling up to my mother. And, uh, and I called her a number of times, and, 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 and finally her boyfriend said, um, you know, your mother's, your mother's on the phone, uh, what do you want, you know? Uh, and I said, I want her to come here. And he's like, uh, hey, Rosie, you know, uh, you know, he wants you. And she was like, all right, I'll be there in a minute. See, you know, see what he wants. And he said, you know, what do you want? I said, I want my mother. He said, well, you know, tell me what you want. And I was like, I want my mother. <clears throat> so, um, so once she got off the phone, um, she came into the room. But before she did, my conscience was born. And I had considered up to that point all the bad things a 10-year-old could do in his life. Hmm. And I wasn't who I was supposed to be in the eyes or the expectations of others. Um, and so when she, and before she came in there, um, if I had the means to kill myself, I probably would have as, as an as a ignorant 10 year old. Um, I, uh, I put my hands around my neck and I've exhaled all my air and I wanted to die. Hmm. My conscience was born. <clears throat> and, um, Obviously, that didn't work, right? Because but, you can't do that. Like we're so, we're, so <laughs> I know. We're so young and so smart that we're dumb. Like, like the choking. <laughs> I'm going to hold my breath until you just pass out yeah. and you'll breathe again. Right? Wait right back yeah. up in an hour. <laughs> but of course, I never even lost consciousness. But um, but I wanted, I wanted the pain to stop. Um, and maybe I didn't even think, you know, there could be a way to not be, right? What, what pain? When you say you wanted the pain, that my conscious, your con yeah, my conscious, my guilt, okay. my shame, okay, okay, um, the repeat thoughts that stay in sure. there that talk to you mm. in the meanest way possible mm, sure. that nobody else, nobody else could talk to you as mean as you do to mm. yourself, Good especially point. when you're disappointed in who you are mm. and you're still trying to learn who mm. you are at the same time. It is, sure. it mm. is the worst place to be. Mm. Yeah, but my mother, uh, she did come in there, and uh, when she did, I um, put my pillow over my head. <clears throat> over my face uh, and confessed to her. <clears throat> she, she stood at the side of my bed and she said, you know, what is it? What's going on? <clears throat> and I said, uh, you know, I want to tell you, you know, some things. And she's like, all right, what? <laughs> and I was like, um, you know, I, uh, you know, I've stolen, you know, money from your purse. Um, those coins, you know, that you were saving up, you know, or, or those coins that were old coins. I took them and I went down to the corner store and used them. Um, <clears throat> I've lied about this or that. Uh, I'd get up in the middle of the night and I'd eat a bowl of cereal. <laughs> you know, yes. silly yeah, trying to fill that too. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and she said, well, okay. She said, that's all right. You know, we can replace those things or, you know, well, maybe you shouldn't do that anymore, whatever. <clears throat> and um, still with the pillow over my head, I said, um, well, that's not the worst of it. She said, you know, well, well what else? And, uh, and I said, I'm gay. She paused. There was silence. There was uncertainty of how she was going to respond. And she eventually sits down at the end of the bed because now she knows this is a conversation. This, is just, mm -hmm. this isn't just a, a, you know, a silly child's yeah, yeah. mind. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, um, and she asked me, she said, uh, well, um, why do you say that? 
and I would, you know, I said, well, me and so-and-so, you know, have, have done this and have done that. <clears throat> and uh, she said, well, when, when, how long has that happened? And, uh, and that, so our, that's the night I remember taking her back to being um, in preschool, so four years old. <clears throat> and um, and uh, the conversation goes on. And eventually um, she asked me, she says, um, well, uh, well, did you like it? Um, and I said, uh, I said, yeah. She reminds me that this is part of the conversation as well. She says, so did you like it? I said, yeah. She said, well, have you ever been with uh, any other, any girls? And I said, no. And she said, well, how do you know you wouldn't like that? And I said, I don't know. <clears throat> she was like, well, you know, this may be a phase, you know, this may be something you're going through this, you know, this is an, ex you know, this could be you experimenting. She says, you know, some people do that. <clears throat> and we're still at the age of 10, where this is. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, so she's trying to reassure me. She's trying to reassure me because okay. I'm ashamed of what's happened up to this point in my life. Which really is a beautiful thing because a lot of people don't get that. Mm -hmm. They don't have those moments. Mm -hmm. They can't, they, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who listen to this and not be able to identify a moment where somebody tried to give them the good grace mm -hmm. to just be them mm -hmm. and figure themselves out versus the damn you to hell stage of the conversation sure. that happens. Sure, yeah, sure. So, um, so she actually, that gave me hope. And by the end of the conversation, I was out from underneath my pillow. <clears throat> and, um, and so she reassured me that, you know, maybe it's just a phase. And I had hoped that maybe it was just a phase. Um, and then within the next year, I initiated with the same boy. And, you know, we, we messed around again for another year or so until I was about 12 years old. Um, <clears throat> but um, so that, that uh, characterizes that aspect to the question you asked regarding how did it manifests itself essentially to self-hate. But when eventually um, I grew older uh, into my teens um, and then into college and then out of college, that was completely turned on its head whereby it became the motivation or drive for me to do what I needed to do, which is the key word, uh, in my actions and my achievements and my success and my service um, to others. It was, I think, intended for me to separate myself from being the little boy mm. um, and the little boy that I self-hated. <clears throat> but um, so I was doing everything I was doing for everyone I was doing it with to be and present myself as worthy. Um, wow. And that turned into um, how it manifested myself for good or bad. <clears throat> and we'll so. be back. But it's the oddest thing when you are, when you're having a moment where you need to get it out because it's very therapeutic, no matter how you get it out. And it, when you learn that it has to come out no matter how the room reads it, hmm. you know, it is like the, it's the ultimate sacrifice for you when you let down your guard enough to, to heal yourself. Of course. Because as you were saying, when you have such a servicing spirit, or an empathetic soul, mm. you absorb so many people's feelings mm. and you absorb their truths mm. or their lies mm. and you spend so much time trying to help them figure out how to walk down that path for them that's right. But then your feelings and who you are gets muddled in between there. Mm. You know, so sometimes you think, no, that was that was for me. But then when you think about it, you're like, that wasn't mm. for me. That didn't it didn't heal what I needed to heal because it wasn't my truth. It was someone else's, mm. you know, path to walk down. So 
I know that feeling when you're trying to keep it together. I was like, if I look like a blowfish on YouTube, because my nose and lips going to spread like there is no other. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> and it's so much stuff. <laughs> so, anywho, um, we're back to our podcast, From the Closet to the Courthouse, The Process of Acceptance. Uh, our guest is still with us, Philip or Phil Santoli and Joshua Santoli. Phil Lip or Phil goes by Santoli. So when you hear us say Santoli, I'm speaking about Santoli as I know him. <laughs> Joshua is here. So um, we, 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 we left off with Santoli uh, starting to and, and going into, I think you, had, you, you stopped where we were talking a little bit about right around the eight, eight, age of 18. Ten. No, he started, he was oh, at yeah. 10, but he had moved towards 18. The military. And before, right prior to, you know, knowing he's going into the military, the the, the full scholarship, things of that nature. So um, you had mentioned, and one of the things I wrote down was you, you were talking about everything that you had achieved, you achieved because you wanted, you, you, you achieved at a high level because, of, and, and I may be quoting it wrong, but the reflecting on it, the, the failure that you felt as that 10 year old boy. I'm trying to separate. Trying to separate. Yeah, trying to separate. That's what you said. Trying to separate from that ten-year-old boy. So, uh, just can you pick up from there, um, and then and and it, we want to make sure you conclude that thought that you were having as you were there, and then we have a few more. We have some more questions that lovely and I would like to ask you guys because we want to get you. How did you guys meet? When did you first? You know, when did you first start discussing with other individuals, other people, your identity and who you were? And who you are, not who you were, but who you are um, when you just first start doing those things. So where did you have anything else you wanted to add to that 10 year old to that 18 year old before we move and transition to our next questions? No. Okay. Yeah. Just want to make sure. Yeah. Lovely. When did you have your first discussion with someone about who you are? That's it. The rest of the stuff. I know. Is just, yeah. There you go. So <laughs> I'll answer first because then we're going to get into the reason uh, of the title of this uh, pack, the, this episode. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but um, really, never, really, never, outside of being ten years old, really, never. Oh wow! Uh, right. Um, other than you know the people that you know I messed with, um, you know, in you know in my teen years um, and beyond. But um, never, not until, um, not until. I told, I started to tell people who I was, who were in my life, before uh, I, my third deployment. Um, and when I say people who were in my life, I mean people who were in my day to day. Um, in, in the military, you're traveling all over the place, and you know when you you know plant your roots, you you grow, you know you build your own little community, your support network, and those are the people that knew who I was, uh, and I began to live who I was, probably in about 2011. Mm -hmm. That was, um, I was probably about 32, um, 32 years old then, so 22 years later. After my third deployment, my entire family did something that my entire family does not do, which was amazing. My mother, my father, my stepmother, my sister, all my sisters, my little brother, and their families, um, nieces, nephews, husbands, um, came to Colorado Springs, Colorado to receive us when we, redeploy, when we redeployed, when we came back from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that weekend, uh, I rented a uh, vacation home that all of us stayed in under one roof. Um, and uh, that weekend, two by two, um, I shared with 
the most important people in my life who I am. And the one thing that, um, the impression that I remember having after having shared that weekend with the most important people in my life, plus my best friend over the telephone who, who couldn't make it, um, was, uh, was damn. In one weekend, I share the biggest secret of my life. Some of my family members had a clue. Some of my family members had no clue. Um, but they all responded with love and immediate acceptance. Hmm. And I thought, my mother took it the worst, but she still loves me just the same. And I'll share that in a moment. But okay, yeah. my thought was, for the most important people in my life, for me to share with what with them what I shared and for them to immediately respond with love and acceptance. It took me 23 years to finally do that for myself. I wanted those 23 years back. If the most important people could respond in such a way, why did I deny myself? Um, but from then on, that was a, a, a pivotal moment in my life. From then on, I'm going to be who I am regardless mm -hmm. um, because nobody knew me. Um, nobody knew who I was, though many probably suspected and many teased or, or talked among themselves. Um, you know, Phil, you know, does he have a girlfriend? Phil doesn't have a girlfriend. Um, oh, Phil's real selective, whatever it was. Um, you know, Phil, you know, walked, you know, like a, like a sissy, um, or, you know, a little girl. Those were the things that I, that I grew up, you know, around or, or being teased for. Um, but, you know, high school didn't know who I was. Um, their family didn't know who I was. Um, college, you know, friends didn't know who I was. Fraternity brothers didn't know who I was. Um, military folk didn't know who I was. Um, and so these are all people that find out who I am, who weren't in my day-to-day -day, um, when they, when we get engaged. <laughs> when we get engaged, um, well, I'll save that for you, Ben. I'll save that for you. So, um, so nobody knew Nobody knew until um, 2012, the end of 2012, after my third deployment. But isn't it so tiring pretending to be something that you're not, to, but not always on purpose? Mm -hmm. Like by the time you realize, by the time you can be exactly who you feel you are, that your heart sings when you see yourself mm -hmm. in the mirror, mm -hmm. and you can be that person, you feel so much lighter. But then you're like, I lost so much. Or maybe you didn't, mm -hmm. because the truth is you never know where mm -hmm. people were a year ago mm -hmm. or five years ago, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that was, um, even, the, I mean, that was the process in itself. Me and the church, my church family didn't know who I was. Um, and so, you know, coming to, to terms and, and, and me living my life um, out loud or in public, um, you, you lose some of that um, to, to an unfortunate degree. But at the same time, it wasn't that it was uh, just the biggest secret of my life. In fact... It was that it was a part of my life that I was absolutely unequivocally to the best of my ability denying. And that's the difference. What do you mean? It wasn't a secret. It was me denying myself. And there was only opportunities, not opportunities, there were only um, periods when my you know, sexual appetite you know, got the better of me that I allowed myself to not deny myself. All right? And then I denied myself again. Um, so it wasn't a secret, it was me denying it. It was me completely denying it. Uh, and learning to be more masculine, um, learning to be you know, more of a guy. Um, and, and, you Stunting know, your own growth. Possibly. You know? Yeah. 
So Joshua has, um, <laughs> hold on, before we and get you'll to see where it bridges. I, I want to ask a question mm -hmm. um, because I think it's very cool. And, and I know you said you'll get back to the, the, the piece with your mom, but for those who are accepting, what do you think, what do you think prompted your family to be so accepting? Did anybody say why they were, or just what, did, what, what, what do you think contributed to them being so, so accepting? And that, the reason I asked that question is I just think that is cool. I just think that is good because like I said, you, you hit it or you were fighting it, but when you, re when you revealed this to them, it was love that you received. Did they, did anyone ever talk to you about what contributed to them being so accepting in 2011? What, you know, what was going on there? I don't know. Um, I can say that, um, my assumption or belief is that, um, they knew it was my life mm -hmm. and they knew that I was established to be who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is just another aspect of it. Um, so they could see and accept me for who I am. Um, and for, you know, for what I've done just in life in general. Um, my mother who, who, who really took it the hardest was, she didn't want me to tell my grandmother. <laughs> I remember her saying that, don't, just don't tell mom <laughs> is how my mother would say. Um, and I was like, well, you know, I don't plan to, but if it comes up, I'm not going to deny who I am. Um, and, oh, do you have to, do you have to tell grandma? <laughs> <laughs> um, not grandma. But, uh, you know, I mean, there was that, you know, there was the embarrassment or the shame or the regret or the whatever it was, even with my mother that she was struggling with. Um, and really there was that, but there was also, I believe, um, the fear of, and I think she admitted this to me as well, the fear of how I'd be received or rejected by society. And that too was a fear of hers that she was trying to project up on me that you mm -hmm. were sharing with Joshua earlier. Um, that, you know, that I'd be rejected or I'd be treated in a certain way, you know, if I lived publicly who I am. Um, and she loved me so much to want to protect me from that. That's what it came down to. So, um, but in a, in a moment to answer your question or to speak on the, uh, the, the ex my mother's conversation. So the very next day after admitting to my mother who I am and, uh, uh, in this vacation home, my mother and my oldest sister um, were in the room, and I walk in, <clears throat> and um, and we have one of our intimate conversations, um, and uh, my mother's like, well, you know, I just feel, and she probably wept, I know she did, she said, I just feel, you know, so bad, you know, I feel like I, I should have been a better parent, <clears throat> um, you know, based on the things that happened to you as a kid, um, and uh, and I said, mm -hmm. Ma, I said, you know, I I, I I've embraced who I am, you know, just accept that. Mm -hmm. um, and my oldest sister chimed in to say, you know, well, you know, you got to understand from a mother's perspective, you know, that, um, you know, there's some things that, you know, she wishes she could have done better. And I was like, well, she assumed like every other mother that their child was, you know, having fun or playing or, you know, messing around being a little boy or, you know, hurting themselves or whatever, you know, little, little kids do in, in the mother's head. <clears throat> and, uh, and I said, there's mom doesn't need to, you know, accept any guilt for who I am today, I love myself. And, um, <clears throat> and, uh, and I made a point with my older sister. I said, what, you, what are your boys doing now? She has two boys and a girl. I said, what are your boys doing now? She said, they're upstairs playing. I said, really? Are you sure? Because that's what mom thought. And, uh, and it kind of changed the, the tone of the conversation to really be understanding. And I hope that my mother received that so that she didn't blame herself, you know, um, for, uh, for who I am, if yeah. there's any blame to be made. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and at the same time, um, 
um, I told my mom, I said, look, I, I am who I am. I love who I am. And just, just that is what it is. Just yeah. accept that. And she turned and she looked at me and she said, <clears throat> she said, Phil, she says, you've had most of your life to come to terms with who you are. You just told me yesterday who you are. Give me some time to process it. And what mm -hmm. I've learned and I had to realize, I didn't tell my mom about the rape initially. I waited until I was 16 because it happened when I was nine or 10. And um, I told my mom about it. And she, like any mom, she wanted to fight mm -hmm. and kick and scream. And at 16, I realized that I had to give her her time to grieve mm -hmm. and to be angry and to find her moment. Because even though in at 16, I wasn't wise enough to know a lot anyway, but I knew that I had to give her her time to feel her feelings. Right. Because even though I was at a different place, I had had my time to, for, for myself, to figure out where I was in that particular space, you know? And it's, all, it's like that on a continuous basis throughout your life, you know? Because when people find out things about you, they, it, that's their D-Day for your exactly. emotion. Right. And then they have to work super fast to catch up with you because while you're skipping down the street super happy, they're like, but I have questions. And mm. you're like, but I've lived this. I'm mm. good. Right. And sometimes when you do that, you know, it's not even, I think people assume that you're trying to <clears throat> quiet them, mm. but really you're just trying to help them understand that there's some things that they can process in a different way. Like instead of starting at the end of the story, start at the beginning or vice versa. It really does help you see somebody else's point of view a little bit better. You know, so I mean, I completely understand that. I, re I recall that, that conversation with my mother because I recall it, that conversation with my mother when, um, you know, people distance themselves from me, um, you know, fraternity, military, um, people who, you know, I, I work with, um, high school, possibly even, uh, when they distance themselves um, or, um, you know, they have their concerns or there's a rejection or they have their own faith beliefs, right? <clears throat> or just cultural values. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they distance themselves. I remind myself that if it's taken me 23 years to personally accept who I am, mm. well, then I ought to be patient enough for them to, for them for 23 years, if that's how long it takes, mm -hmm. to really come to terms and recognize that I am still who the hell I am, and that hasn't changed. This is just another aspect of who I am. Me? Okay. <laughs> All right, this is going to go really fast. <laughs> I, we haven't heard that conversation at all. Um, so, for the question about having the discussion with someone about who I am in that perspective, I don't think I've never had that conversation. Um, however, I came out officially to everyone when we got engaged. So, that was like, you know, extreme moment, like, all right, just do it. Um, that was a diva moment right there. There was none <laughs> other. It's like, you couldn't have come out any bigger. Right. Um, but to take a few steps back from that moment, um, to everyone in my family, my closest friends, I was, I lived myself as straight. However, I had a three-year relationship with an individual um, for three years, lived together, everything as roommates. Um, 
But I didn't talk to anyone about it, even through the rough, and it got rough, um, the extreme parts leading up to us, you know, calling it quits. I just bottled it up and, you know, spent every day as a normal day. So um, that actually led up to us meeting and, you know, we started, our, even during like, the first, but we didn't tell anyone. Um, so how did you meet? We met online. You know, that's what the new kids do these days, I guess. The new kids. The new kids. They're the new kids. Um, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> um, so there's all kinds of social apps for gay, you know, gay straight. Almost like just... You name it. You name you it. You're the porn to date right now. Right. It just depends. You know? yeah. just relate, there's yeah. a relationship exactly. app for everybody. Exactly. This is everybody. Silver Fox relationship. I mean, right. app now. <laughs> they got a... Is it set... Is it sectarian? What's that set? Like the over, I saw like for over 70, like oh, it's an wow. app. Yes, dead right. serious. But if you've been married or somebody yeah. passes and you still exactly. want a relationship, right, right. It's, and it's not just talking about being married, but it's just having a relationship and partnership. And so I, I actually saw it and thought it was that's kind of cool. Yeah. I think it's actually cool. So yeah. Nobody going to move when I'm 70. I'm going to be a crashy old lady. I'm playing in this one. Anyway, back to your story. So, uh, we met online very casually. Um, I saw he was based out of Colorado, so me being the, you know, I have walls up anyway, very conservative. I have walls built, so you're not really going to get into who I am. So being a couple thousand miles away is it's no problem. Yeah. You know, I'll speak to you. Hey, you know, how's it going? Mm -hmm. You know, so we small talk conversations. Um, took a lot of effort on my part. Let me just say. <laughs> so, I mean, to this point, I haven't. I've trained myself on to deny who you are. Yeah, and yeah. to not say anything yeah. in eighty percent of all my interactions, um, except for when I'm at home. Mm -hmm. So I was living that life and not talking to anyone about it. Just bottle it up, swallow it, don't say nothing. Um, so we meet, we talk, and. Basically, through the conversation, he lets me know he's going to be coming to the DMV, you know, in in a couple weeks or whenever. And I said, okay, sure. Well, maybe, and he said, maybe we can meet. I'm like, okay, sure, you know, because I'm, I'm like, we ain't meeting, you know. I'm just saying this to make the conversation sound good. So oh, we was meeting. <laughs> uh, so the first time he came, I didn't show. But I wasn't just a no call, no show. I said, you know, I'm not oh, going to make it. I didn't, I didn't go. It was a no call, no. But it goes back to how it goes back to how was brought up. Yeah. You know, you just don't meet no random person, person. and yeah. you know. So didn't go. Um, but I did say I promise if you come back and tell me that I will meet you and we can have dinner or something. So, <laughs> however, it sounds so begrudging. How generous! Oh, like, <laughs> He's like, oh, 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 something. Yeah, like. <laughs> however, up to this point, through some of our conversations, there were things that he was talking about, whereas I was not one hundred percent sure that he was even gay. Um, just in small conversation about where he wanted to live, and he wanted to live in D.C., and I was like, oh well, Dupont Circle is a really nice area. He's like, oh well, I don't really think I want to be around a whole bunch of gay people. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, no worries. And I'm just like, he's not you, even gay. He's on here officially just to make friends. So I'm like, all right, I'm not going to really push it. You know, I, and I never asked like, so are you gay? Or, you know, I wasn't at that point even comfortable to say that myself. Yeah. So 
Um, I never asked, and then when he came, then I I officially knew who he was. Um, that's when he got into the car with the stranger. Yes, stranger that's how danger. I describe it. Stranger danger. Now I was how old was I? About maybe twenty five. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe twenty five. Maybe twenty six. We had communicated. We communicated for a couple months via social media. Um, social media, text, text telephone calls, messenger, yeah. um, uh, even video chats. Um, or, or FaceTime. It was the walkie-talkie. Oh, that's right. That Voxer. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. We weren't doing really... The first time we video chatted was when you were in Costa Rica. Because I remember you panned the camera on your sister. And I was like, oh, this is awkward. Because I had never met her Skype before. Skype. Yeah, it was Skype. He was like, hey, this is my sister. Hi. And I'm you like... just aged me. I'm like, wait a minute. We didn't talk about all. <laughs> so, um, so, we communicated for two months before I finally transitioned and uh, relocated from... Fort Carson, Colorado to Fort Belvoir, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Alexandria, yeah. So, and, and this, you know, surely I was not going to be stood up this time. <laughs> but when I tell you every single thought was going through my head, mm-hmm. um, at this point, I was not out. But there were um, a couple individuals who I worked with who I who knew. Mm-hmm. And the reason they knew was because the individual I was seeing also worked in the building. Okay. We were on different levels. Though. So when we walked by, I was just like, you know, like we really don't really know each other that mm-hmm. much. Um, so I told them I had met him. And at this point, our relationship is just dwindling. This, we're living there, but when this, lease, when this lease is now up, you're really yeah, when yeah. this lease is up, I'm gone. Um, so we meet in person. Um, you went away, I believe, for until your full transition was complete. Um, but we remained in contact. And um, then once he's officially here, then I'm making the commute to Alexandria. And I keep on trying to come up with the excuses now for why am I still going? Or I'm just not saying. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm out with friends, you know. Meanwhile, I'm driving from Hanover. I was living in Hanover, Arundel Mills, to Alexandria. Every weekend, you really love somebody so. at four ninety five as your friend. <laughs> you really love somebody. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying that three ninety five, four ninety five corridor. Right. You really love somebody, right? Because at yeah. some point, you just get off on the exit, mm-hmm. stop and get some food, and go back home. Like, yeah. like I'm not right. doing this, right? And I had some amazing weekends. Yeah, and I think at that point, I was mm-hmm. also caught up in the excitement of the spontaneity of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wow, this is so. You know, and just meeting him, like, oh, he's nice, and you know, he's military. You know. And he opened me up to a whole different perspective of individuals who I now call my friends also. Just the networking, the people from D.C. It was just different from Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Just it's a whole is. different it, it culture. Is. It, it is. is. So, agree you it. know, that became the norm, like going down, you know. And I remember the very first time I told my sister, um... And it was when we made it official because there were a couple of moments when I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, if I really wanted to leave, you know, the back and forth. Once all that was out the way, um, we became official. Um, He had actually met my mother and my two sisters, but he just met as a friend Mm -hmm. at the house. And I can remember my older sister saying to me, oh, is he single? <laughs> and like, I'm not like, really, but okay. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. In the back of my head, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so, now he's already out at this point where I'm not, I'm not out yet. So, but of course his family don't know. That. They don't know that. They can't, when I met him, I could not tell. Yeah. And I think when a lot of people meet him, 
I know this sounds so odd, but you you don't know. I did. So they may. But say, I've lived in the you... house. Yeah. I've lived in the house, so mm. I it, I say all the time I can, for the most part, look at a person and kind of see the purest version of them. Mm-hmm. It's my hippie side. I always laugh because <laughs> that is very me. For a lot of the times when I see people, I see the colors with them. Mm-hmm. It's not just a person. It's like a spirit that walks with a person. Mm-hmm. And that lets me know who I can and can't connect with. Mm-hmm. I'm really big mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know? Yeah. So you saw my halo. <laughs> Tanda. No. no, there was no halo dot in there. <laughs> Damn. So, um, I remember we were at a party for my uncle's 50th. And I had been drinking a little bit. Of course, everything's easier when you have little alcohol in you. And um, <laughs> my sister, my older sister... She reminds me of the paparazzi because she's always, so who you with? You know, are you dating anyone? Are you seeing anyone? You know, she's constant. Mm-hmm. But I've always felt that pressure from my family. Like, when you going to meet a girl? That rapid fire uh, questioning. I would also get the, here, take this number. Someone's going to call you. And I'm like, who? And it's like, oh, this is, just, just answer your phone when she called. All the time. That would always happen. And I'd just be so frustrated. Because um, I'm like, no, you know, and. They would always say, do you got a girlfriend? I'm like, when I know, you'll know. That was my safe answer. Mm-hmm. So um, in the moment, I told her, I said, well, I'm just going to tell you now. And I said, me and Santoli are together. And then she like was like, everyone. And I was like, well, don't go telling no one. You know, I don't, I'm not, you know, ready to really tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Well, and she said, well, everyone knows. We're just waiting for you to tell it. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't. The reaction I believe I received once I started to communicate when we were engaged. Mm-hmm. So, so Paul, um, you, you jump. You, I like how Joshua does it. He gives you a lot. Oh, he gives you something, <laughs> but then he'll transition to the next story. So you say you're at this, your uncle's fiftieth party, fiftieth mm-hmm. birthday party. Yes, mm-hmm. she's questioning you, or you know, just know her paparazzi thing. Mm-hmm. You, you, you. Tell her or inform her, mm-hmm. saying totally and I together. Mm-hmm. She put up her hand. So when she put up her hand, what did she do? It was like a high five. Oh, she gave you a high five. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Remember, right. we're on the podcast. So right. you, yeah, I'm that. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> she <laughs> gave me a high five. <laughs> she, like, oh. oh, and so, so when she said everybody already knew, did, did, she, did you guys discuss what everybody already knew? Before we get to the engagement, it was just like everybody already knew. We just waiting for you. And that, and was, you it. Got, that was it. Okay. It, I just shut that up okay. because... It was a lot of family around. It was okay. too much. Ultra, you're real conservative. I'm like, we're not about to really have this discussion. <laughs> okay. But I just told you, and that's that. So I was just like, okay, I told her. So that was Jay. Even before you do that. So did you guys ever have a dis- So was there ever a discussion no. after about if you, you and your sisters? No, about he said it was never now? a discussion. No. There was never a moment like, let, let me, me please. <laughs> I ain't living in your world with all the colors and all that other good stuff. I'm just saying. I figured so you was I'm listening. I'm going to inquire. But, okay. All so right, paparazzi. You can give yeah. me a new word. So I've never had the sit-down conversation of, I just want to let you guys, everyone here know that I'm gay. Yep. I've been this way. I, never happened whatsoever. Um, it was, we. I told my sister when we started dating, that was January 20th. When we officially started dating. Mm-hmm. January 20th of 2014. 14. November 7th, we were engaged. And it's January 25th. Of the same way. year. January 25th, 25th. You moving quick. We were now. engaged. And, <laughs> He's like, I ain't letting this one go. Come on. And what I did was, 
because I was nervous and I'm like, I can't just pick up the phone and call and say this. Like, hey, I just want to tell you I'm gay and I'm engaged. So I can't do it that way. And my family had all met him, but they didn't. They just met him as a friend. And him being who he is, you know, they're not thinking, well, maybe they're together. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I'm, I don't think anyone got that initial vibe. You know, and with you being military, you connected with my father that way because he was a Marine, mm-hmm. but he only did the two years. So, but okay. still, that connection that still was, was exactly, exactly, he still went to boot camp. Exactly, and that got family, yeah, exactly. yeah. So, I took a picture of the ring, <laughs> the little ring, and I said, hey, this just happened. When you get a second, we need to talk. And I sent it to my mother and my father. That was it at first. <clears throat> so, my mom calls <laughs> me. And she says, so uh, what's that? <laughs> Something like that. I said, um, saying totally proposed. And and I said, yes. And she said, are you sure? And I said, yeah. She said, and I'm not asking because, you know, of the situation. I'm just asking just to make sure you're sure. And at that moment inside, I'm saying, well, yeah, I'm sure. But I'm like, but I don't know what's what's going to happen next. You know, I don't know what the future's going to hold. I've never gone this far this down the rabbit hole. Too. Right. So I really don't know if I'm sure or not. I'm just, for once, I'm just trying to be me. Yeah. And go with the flow of what I really want to do and not there what everyone expects mm-hmm. of me to do or what to say. So I called my my stepmother. And she was like, wait a minute, hold on. we got to talk about this. She's like, who? I'm getting ahead. She said, like, you got to call and talk to your father, too. And she's like, I, I got this is a lot to process right, right away. Called my father, and he was like, yeah, let me call you back. So he hit me with the let me call. I said, he needs a moment. <laughs> so he did call me back. Um, I told him, you know, I'm engaged. We're getting married. And um, he said, well, I don't condone it. I didn't raise you that way. But I respect it because you're a grown man, you know, and he went to, you know, the Bible says this and this and this and this, but I respect your decision, you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay. But he knew. So I was like, all right, at least that's good. I I thought it was going to be worse. I thought it was going to be like, you know, blow out. We can't talk like yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And we got married the next weekend. Right. Um, Is that too far? No, no, no. I was like, wait a minute. I got whiplash. So, talk to us a little bit about when. So, when did you reveal? When you did? How did your family receive, or when you shared the engagement with your family? And not because you hadn't already come out, because you did in 2011, but how quick? Not the meeting, because you guys have been knowing each other, but from dating to. Like here Engaged and then, to and marry. Then, and to, then the marriage that weekend. So how did your family... So my family knew who I was um, mm-hmm. after my third deployment, which was about six or seven months before Joshua and I met in person. <clears throat> um, and it was probably a year after we were um, dating that... Um, mm-hmm. off talking. Yeah, constant communication, but... A year after we dated that uh, I introduced him to my family for the 4th of July weekend oh, yeah. in Kansas City. <laughs> and it was six months later after that. So we dated for about a year and a half before we finally got engaged and immediately got married. Um, <clears throat> that, was, you that, that, that was the scary part for me also, was that meeting the family. Because I didn't know what to expect. I'm just like, oh, God, all right, let's 
So all your biases are based on your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, Santoli's very, you know, structured with the whole conversation. So it's everyone, attention, attention. <laughs> I just want everyone to know, this is Joshua. This is my boyfriend or whatever. And I'm just like, <laughs> like look, look, look what I got. Look what I got. You know, and it was this, the most awkward moment, though, was with your grandmother when he told her. And it was like just some awkward silence. And he's like, Joshua, come here real quick. And I come over and I'm like, yes. And I met her, you know, hey, how you doing? He said, um, grandmother, remember I told you this is Joshua. This is a person that I'm seeing. And she's looking at him. And I'm just kind of standing there like, and I don't know if you asked her like, so what do you think about that or like something? And she says, well, you know, and she says, Dolly, uh, we talked about this and, you know, and I'm just and like, I love you anyway. Mm-hmm. Something like that. It's like pause, silence. And I'm just like, like should can, I just walk You can hear the hand? gong of the clock. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, should I just continue to stay here? Would anybody here? like any juice? Yeah, like, <laughs> like I didn't have anything to hold, like to... <laughs> No phone, nothing. I'm just like, so it was. There was a couple of moments where I'm just like, oh, I wish we would have communicated this better because I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And like we went to your aunt Mickey's house, mm-hmm. it just seemed like it was a raw Garcia side of the family. Door, Every Sunday, in. my aunt Mickey and Uncle Willie make menudo, which is a Mexican soup. Uh, every Sunday, and the family, eat, it's a revolving door, and um, and every person who came through got the same spiel. So you kept doing this? Not only do I, you know, I'm, I'm, it was I'm like internalizing an like, and they were, I'm they this black okay. guy out here all by myself from Baltimore. And I'm like, what are people going to think? What am I thinking? Like, this isn't right. You know, every negative thought is coming mm-hmm. to my head. Like, I'm not going to be accepted, you know. So. But what that experience you said, what was that experience like? What, what was It was overwhelming. Like, to the point that there were some points when I was just frustrated. I'm like. Stop telling people like this. I'm like, why do you keep on making this such an official conversation? I'm like, I'm a guy who came all the way from the East Coast with you. They know. That's what I was thinking to myself. Like, they know. I'm like, you don't have to make it so. But it was his celebration. And I understand. I understand exactly where you're Mm -hmm. coming from as well. But I think that. But it was also ripping off the bandage. Yes. To get past it. Yeah. So it wouldn't be drawn out. Yeah. And we're but, not you, but you felt like carnage in the midst of the ripping of the band-aid. Because yeah. we didn't really talk about it. So I didn't. I just thought, you know, we're just going to go here and have a good time. And we'll see where it goes. But no, it Are was you sure like, you no. didn't hear? You missed some of the conversation he was having with you? Like, we're going to go and they're going to know about us. Did I mean, ever- I know that. But I didn't think it was going to be just such a structured conversation in front of everyone as, you know... Instead of this happening naturally, yeah. Yes. Like someone say, so how long you like? If someone yeah. says, so how long you two been together? Like yeah, we know you together. Then I said, well, it's been about this long. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know. No, it wasn't that. It was, well, here's here's it why was it was necessary. Joshua does not like public displays of affection. He's very uncomfortable, probably right now. <laughs> and it's so so that much nobody would have ever known. Mm-hmm. Period. Nobody would ever know. So it was ripping off the bandaid in part and in part um, a celebration. Mm-hmm. So we created a. Um, a Facebook post, and we yeah. were like, "Are you sure you really want to do this?" This is when we were engaged. Was it like this? The hands or the rings or Maybe. something? Yeah. And uh, and and Joshua, because I, you know, I'm I'm good with who I am. Joshua told crickets, all right, yeah. who he was yeah. up to that point, and uh, he said, "Yeah, go ahead." And it was kind of exciting, just kind of scary. Just do it. And we just did it, and then it was like, and it was just like, take it back, take it back, and it was just like, you can't. 
can't. We can't. Yeah. Because then that's you know that's yeah. a whole different it was world. Like, whole world. Within the first five minutes, like three hundred comments or pings to that one picture. And I'm like, oh wow, this is blowing up quick. Um, and I'm, that's how we quote unquote came out <laughs> to yeah. the to and our, our friends yeah. and family extended. Yeah. yeah. But before, even before, part of it I remember. My, me and my older sister, our relationship has been um, stressed, and we don't, we're not close as we used to be. Um, but I remember my father told me, "Yeah, Ashley called me. She told me you had something to tell." But she was so quick. Oh, did you? And he was like, "Stop, stop! I need to talk to Josh to figure out what's going on." So you know, I was glad that he was very reserved. He, I knew, I know he knew what was coming. Um, but we didn't actually have an official conversation until after the engagement that week. Mm-hmm. We met with my mom and went to dinner in San Tolly Bean. So I wanted to know if there's any questions that you have. And, and then Let's we passed it. Yeah. And Let's then we did the same thing the following, just a few days later, with my father and stepmother. And my father just said, kind of like your grandmother, well, I talked to Josh, I told him how I feel about it, and that's that. That was that was like yeah, it. That was it. So, and I and never has he been since. Has he been? Oh yeah, we to, yeah we talk. Um, mm-hmm. We talk on a regular basis. Um, our relationship is fine. Okay. Um, uh, he did not come to the wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, Neither did my father. Yeah. So, um, which I feel like he may have had some aspect of what he pictured it being or what he thought it would be with everything that you may see mm-hmm. on TV. The stereotypes. Yeah, the stereotypes of, I'm not going to this. Mm-hmm. And I felt like everyone had kind of a question of, what is this going to be like? I've never been to a gay wedding. You know, we don't know neither. We've never been to it, but we're going to plan it to, meet, For us. to match our personality. So I have to ask, because one, we're having a deep conversation and we said some of this stuff, and this is probably... It's probably our deepest podcast. And this is the one where no one will say I talked a lot because I'm just sitting and learning. Um, and you're not running your mouth this time. So you, you don't have nothing to say about that? I knew you just wanted to come back. I knew you wanted your own podcast. <laughs> um, uh, no. So the thought that came to my mind, and it would be funny, I would, I would actually invite uh, TC down here to, 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 to chime in on this. So... Like you said, you had never done it before, so you're planning the wedding. Um, do you either? I know you don't because you don't watch TV, so don't say it. Don't give us that. That I don't watch television. That's a that's lie. A public, that's a public service announcement. <laughs> Every podcast, <laughs> I don't watch TV. Like a, one of those people that no, I do. I watch the NBA uh, station and I watch I'm, Velocity. I'm, I'm I'm better than you because I don't watch. Smoke cars. They don't. I, I don't. I don't watch. I don't watch, I don't watch TV. Television. Yeah, I don't. No, it's television. not better than you. <laughs> I know. I feel lost sometimes. And I, I know it's not that. It's like the Joe Ride woman. Yeah, I can. <laughs> you always crack on me. You make me feel so. <laughs> County boy T.O. can relate to you because I come from both of you Every day. Benio. So, you guys watch Key and Pill. Have you ever seen any other Key and Pill? Love the Key and Pill. Yes, you have. Oh my I God. I mean, that's that. Balake. But not that one. So, the there's news, episode. The newscaster interview? Not that. And oh I so God. want to put it on right Hilarious. now just to show you guys this. We I can't so, because it's copyright infringement. I won't put it on here. <laughs> I won't put it on here. But anyway. There's the one episode where they're, and I got to show it to you. It's just the funniest thing in the world. It's funny to me, but I want to know your, you guys' thoughts on it. 
but it's the it's the episode where it's they're preparing for a gay wedding mm-hmm. or a wedding, and, and when they're preparing oh my, to announce it to the family, and, and it's like, how are we supposed to act <laughs> or what are we supposed to do in this? And as they're preparing for this, my thought is, is even because I'm I'm the type of individual um, I used to tell Trisha in the '90s, like when when black comedians would tell jokes about white people, I used to always say, I said it's funny, I said, but we get offended when white people tell jokes about black people and we kind of go through the whole motion of well they shouldn't be able to see it. and i was like no nah, i said if it's funny for me mm-hmm. if it's funny it's funny right and so I, I see that kind of happening now where everybody is to me not sensitive because depending on what you've gone through you have a right to be you know sensitive mm-hmm. to certain things but i also recognize comedy has always Cut, it's cutting edge. It's mm-hmm. always supposed to cut Across edge. The borders comedy is not politically correct because mm-hmm. comedy goes, that's just like when you're playing snaps when you're little and the, the, your mother jokes. When you grow up playing your mother jokes, the reason I used to be like, can't do it, bro, because I'm sensitive with my mom. So I would listen to other people and laugh while they were doing it to each other, but I would never jump in because right. like, I'm going to get offended because when you told the, your mother joke, you were joking, but you were saying something true about your, that exactly. person's mom, whether right. the hair was short and nappy or something about the toes. It was true. And everybody would laugh, even the person, but it was just to see who can get the best dig when they were doing it. And so I think sometimes when people watch comedy now, it's like, eh, but they shouldn't say that because that's not, and I'm thinking, but then you shouldn't watch it. There are certain, certain people to me in the world who aren't allowed or afforded the opportunity to be themselves. And there are other people who discover who they are at a certain point in time, some earlier, some later. But as you were referencing your mind, the grace that it takes to sh- is twofold. The grace that it takes to show someone what you just said, it took you 23 years to kind of get to that place of this is me and I'm not denying who, who I am than to be accepted by your family. But then to say, you know what? I can extend that same grace to those individuals who I've just shared this with, but they're not ready to accept it. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to allow them the opportunity to grow there. I think what happens or what gets lost, even in these deep conversations, is the opportunity to, for me for, to have real life happen. And where real life happens for me is, is that you're not afraid to, one, laugh at yourself to like be cool with loving yourself when lovely just made the comment you okay over there i was looking at the screen but i'm blind so okay. you know i was trying to make sure what, what lovely just what, what she said about you know she talked about her husband and, and me kind of being good with who we are and kind of accepting that that still comes with battle scars and wounds when i mm-hmm. was younger i told you what what caused me to get to a place of accepting who i was was you get ridiculed for, I told you, I grew up much lighter than I was with this reddish brown, like my hair looked like the color red in the summer. And so I was called white boy growing up and being called white boy growing up, even though I grew up in a house with all of these different individuals, I was still singled out as being that one, my, my own person. And so I didn't do the normal bad things they did. I would make toys with clothespins and I would draw and I would do things that was considered abnormal while my cousins were getting into trouble and doing the things they were doing I was my own solo self and so I, I you grow up with that you, you have that on you and then in going to school I wasn't always loud but I was angry 
but I was talented enough to do good in school. So I had all of this, this mix going on. So all of that taught me by the time I hit 14, for that 14 through 16 age, I had decided I got tired of every label. I got tired of being joked for hang, having hand-me-downs and wearing, as I described on one podcast, the oatmeal coat and, and, and things. So I decided after one period of when people would just ask me how I was doing, that that's when the whole term regular came up. And the term regular meant I'm me. The same me I'm going to be tomorrow, the same me I was yesterday. That's who I am. And in the process of and in the process of doing, I'm far away. But in the process of becoming that, what it did was it not only allowed me to be free, it allowed me to view people and to be okay with people being who they were. Because I was settled in me. And so a part of my mission and the reason that I can actually, you know, enjoy the podcast, do the podcast, but do life with people is because and laugh at people and laugh at myself because I laugh at a lot of the stupid things that I do and a lot of the stupid things I know I'm going to do in life because I know well, not only am I not perfect, but all of those things are part of my journey. And all of those things, even the, the highs, the lows, the mistakes, the trip ups, the nope, I actually didn't even intend to do that, but it still became a part of my life. I'm good with that because all of those things will eventually they are part of my story, but they'll eventually be something that I can actually share to help someone else as they're becoming exactly. who they are. So as we're sharing the story, and the reason I wanted to take that little moment to kind of just show that clip was because there's a lot of ignorant people in the world. And even though that's just a skit that we just watched, what I see beyond the skit is, is trying to educate people on it. It's like, you know, we really look this stupid when we think about a gay wedding. Right. And in the gay wedding, we're asking, when are we going to, you know, when are we going to sing His Reigning Men? Hallelujah. And it's like, and yep, I can laugh. Feel it so <laughs> exactly. But I can laugh at it because I understand it's like they're not mocking gay weddings. They're mocking the individuals who actually are choosing not to understand. No, it's two people in love. It's two people who are getting married. You can just be normal. You be you. But most of the people who are sitting down don't know how to be themselves. So that we're so used to putting on that the uniform or that's that different self that we have to be for that moment it's like so okay now that i'm going to a gay wedding what self do i have to put on today so that i can be in this wedding it's like no just be yourself most of us don't know how to so that's why when people the, the people who may be struggling with the the the, the a gay wedding or everything that they're watching happen around them is they haven't even learned how to be themselves right now because they've just been conforming their whole lives and that's like you're introducing something entirely new into my world and it doesn't fit my structure. Mm-hmm. That five block radius you're talking about, it, that you already referenced, it doesn't fit that. So how am I supposed to process this? Well, I'm just going to not like it. I'm going to hate it. And so it's easier for me to hate because if I hate, then I can just still push you, push you away. But if I choose to receive you, what I have to do at that moment is now I have to understand things about myself that I've not done in my teens, 20s, 30s. I'm now in my 50s. And you're telling me this is supposed to be normal for me? That's tough for anybody to do. So, like your story. It was good. I was listening. I was like that. All from a Key and Peele skit. You see that? How about that? <laughs> Watch Key and Peele, y'all. It's very educational. <laughs> hilarious. hilarious. Yeah, that's what it is. It's hilarious. It's, 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 it's very funny. So, y'all stopped off at the wedding and preparing for the wedding. So, oof. Um... So at the wedding, we had about 175 guests. Um, we got married on the rooftop in D.C., overlooking um, Union Station and Capitol. the uh, Capitol Building. Um, 
and it was the best day of my life. I know yeah. that's cliche, but I can't deny that that's exactly what it that's was. That's what's up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My mom cried and made me cry in the beginning. Um, Damn tears. I know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and his mother did not cry. But I quickly no. recovered. Like, before I, by the time I got up there, I was recovered. <clears throat> However, <laughs> someone else, it took, it was almost to the point that I was like, do we need to take a moment? That's how bad he was crying. That's love. I mean, and it was, and it wasn't just tears. It was the, it's not true. It was the, it was the, it was the, it was the, that ugly cry when you got to get you. It was the, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like holding his hands and I'm like, and our officiants are, are reading and she's kind of reading over him a little bit. I'm like, oh my God, should we stop? Should we like, cause someone like tissue something. (laughs) And I'm just like, at one point I was like, then I'm like, all right, let me just bring it back, let him have it. But I was about to say, you need to get it together. <laughs> because it was like, it was, you cried for like a good five minutes. It felt like you cried forever. And, and I'm I was, like, he is still and what, I was actually, and what I was actually doing was I was praising God. Yes. That's what I was doing. It was a freedom. You, was. That was a, it was it a was. freedom <laughs> dance. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it was. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. But it was, it was really good. It was a really great, a great time. Um, a great experience, and I, I think we may have got some questions about you know. So what did you guys do? You know, people were trying to figure out what it was like. It was like, yeah, it was a rooftop, you know, nice ceremony, you know, just like an average wedding. Yeah, nobody was, parachuted yeah. down right naked. And <laughs> there was no the, rainbows or nobody was throwing skittles. Yeah, no skittle throwing, none of that. No couscous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, really? Exactly. No random man, a regular DJ. You know, it's like when people be like, "Well, well, how do black people?" Do? I'm like, "Don't ask me. Go, go ask another person. Mm-hmm. Don't. Mm-hmm. Right. No. Right. Just let me be me. Okay. Exactly. I'm gonna let you be you. Mm-hmm. You let me be me. <laughs> if you have any questions, Google can ask them. Right. She knows a lot now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Google what do black people do and she'll tell right. you some random shit <laughs> you know <That's> so <laughs> don't no. ask Google anything I can't right now don't ask Google anything I, was... I know you are I know you are oh. I want to see what she told me I want, I want to know what I should be doing but go ahead I'm sorry yeah. well I was going to say at the same time if that's what um, a same sex marriage wanted to look like yeah. that's what a same sex marriage because my look uncle like. was going to have eight mm-hmm. bridesmaids everybody was going to have mm. colors from the same scheme mm. like he had he had a wedding plan mm-hmm. it was very gone with the winnish mm. I mean there was going to mm. be a lot of ruffles wow. a lot of curtain rods mm. it was a lot happening mm. at that time <laughs> but but that was his thing that was his his whole idea but once of again, that's still no different be. than a straight wedding where absolutely you see the different I've been things. in a lot of ruffles you, 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 you see know? the different things that but people do at their weddings but now. Had, yeah. and, and like I say all the time my husband and I have been together since we were 13 and 14 my husband still to this day he's like I mean Vernon was gay but like he wasn't gay and I was like but, but he was like in a whole life he was like, I know. He said, but the kitten heels used to just throw me off sometimes because my uncle was a large man. But as he got older, he used to wear these like little teeny, you know, like inch and a half. Yes, you know the ones that looked like he was going teeter totter. Like you know, it wasn't it wasn't okay. But that was his thing. But and whenever you saw him, you just saw him. Like his spirit was just way bigger mm-hmm. than anything that you wanted to. I mean, he was proposed to by women. 
Man, he just was like, no. Yeah. Like, he, he knew who he was. Mm -hmm. And that was just his thing. But it, the wedding had nothing to do with just being gay. He mm -hmm. just knew yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. what he was going to do. No, and and that's the, I think that's yeah. the point that, yeah. that, that Santoli made. Like I say, if somebody wanted to have a wedding with all of those things, it's not stereotypical. It's just their choice of what they Absolutely. want in their wedding. And so I think that even as we, as we go through the, the podcast, one of the things, you know, I always try to do is from a mental health perspective, once again, what is it that you and I always say we want to do in this? Our goal is to see people tr truly be who they are and to, be able to, and to be able to live their lives with the people that are brought into their universe and that they have to do life with. That's the best. Yeah, be life the most that, the, the most authentic the, version the, of, of yourself themselves. as you can be. That's what we. That's what we want to see people being able to do, and that's why I think in hearing the story, and I know we're going to go more into it, you know. But in hearing their story, I think the beautiful part about Josh was in Sant Josh and Santoli's love is they're a couple. It it's transcends. It transcends any it's, titles. Exactly. It and, just and is. It, it's not about the stereotypes, yeah. and because it's not about the stereotypes. Those are the things that I think mess with people when you can't stereotype an individual because we like to live in those boxes. But I always tell people stereotypes don't bother me. I once went out with a client and, and we were we, put me in uh, we, we went out we went out with a client, but no, we went out with a client one time and we went to a barbecue spot. And so myself and another manager, we sit down and she, she orders brisket and something else, and so I'm like. All right, well, you know, if you take me to a barbecue spot, I'm always going to try the ribs. I mean, it's just mm. what I'm going to do. That's right. So I'm trying ribs. I do want cornbread, and I'm going to try collard greens. Mm. And she was like, "Fellas, you know, it's just a black lady." She said, "You know, you know, we free now. We ain't got to try that." I'm like, "Try what?" She said, "You know, we ain't got to live up to the stereotype." Chick, if they had watermelon, here, I'm gonna get watermelon too. <laughs> this is what I like. Yeah, you ain't getting me. What the, what the hell? I look like eating brisket. What do I, I like want? Brisket, I, good for you. I, but, uh, for those who he like always taking shots at my life. <laughs> Mom, but but, 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 but we, I get what you're saying. You talk, when we were I doing get what you're saying. When we were when we were on break, one of the things I wanted, to, like I say, I don't have a problem with being black because I love me. I love Baltimore. But brisket, I love everything. Brisket is a poor piece of meat. I ain't saying it's not. Always yeah, I'm not saying that. But my point is, is yeah. She her stereotype was, that, she yeah, was, she, that she's she, embarrassed about. Yeah, she had the issue with something. So we're sitting here, and I love when they, they say black people and fried chicken, but then you sit down at a table and there's a group of white men who like, and, and we're sitting in D.C., and you're at this upper-class restaurant, but it's like, yo, the fried chicken at Joe's Crab, and Joe's Crab Shack is great. It's like, so you come to a seafood spot to get crab, and then you right. taste the chicken, and it's like, bro, y'all really don't know what fried chicken tastes like. This is some bland stuff. <laughs> I was like, crispy, but it ain't good. You know what I mean? So it's a stereotype when we eat it and we feel embarrassed about it. And to me, whether it's the food or when we're talking about a wedding, what I see when I look at you and what I, what I receive from the story is, no, there should never be any shame about it. And just if you're you, I think the world embraces anybody who's them. And those who don't, the problem is not you. The problem is it's because they have, they have issues within themselves that they can't accept. Remember we, had, we did a con... Um podcast was live podcast and my rule always is is that when you ask a person a question and they give you back a hurtful answer usually you are reflecting something negative within them that they haven't dealt with yep and i am really big on it's not that i don't ask questions in general i just know that i am way more interested in having constructive criticism versus having somebody who is just negative 
Because there are a lot of people who don't want to deal with themselves mm -hmm. and they don't want to deal with you because you will make them have to answer questions that reflects negatively on them. And if you, and again, if you're trying to live this facade where you are this great person, where you are this, you know, model citizen, where you do everything correctly and you show up to church on Sunday and you mm -hmm. are always at work to work on time and nothing's ever wrong. Lie, it's lie. usually a lot of things that's wrong, lie, lie. you know. I'm with you. No, no, no. no I'm I know. That, that no. life is a and, lie. And, and that, and for me, I always laugh because when people see me, like if you see me from far away, I look real high maintenance. And the closer I get to you, you start seeing like something's off. And by the time you know me, you're like, she probably went to therapy a lot <laughs> because I am super honest about who I am, where I am in my moments very flat foot in where I stand, mm -hmm. but it took a lot of pushing on my own part to be able to be honest. Like I can honestly, you know, I always say, you know, if you see me cry, I love you. That is a true thing mm -hmm. because that is because I only cry when I'm angry mm -hmm. or when I am relieved mm -hmm. that I get to say it, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of where I am in my life. And I think that a lot of people try to like, hold it all together until they're by themselves but you can't hug yourself hmm. you know hmm. you just you, you can try but you can't <laughs> hug yourself and sometimes you need to fall into someone who loves you where hmm. you're safe hmm. my best friend always says she was like you need two good things in your life you need a best friend who knows how to to stop drinking when she sees you <laughs> creating a mess for yourself because you need a getaway <laughs> and you need your best friend to always read you from across the room when you're about to do something real stupid for her to be like, hey, you, we leave it. And I always laugh because we're that person. We can be in a room, 100 people. I can look at her and see her North Philly gray come out. I'm like, I don't think that's what she wanted to do here at Johns Hopkins. So like, I walk over to him and, hey, so you want some juice? Yes, but you can see, like, <laughs> you know. But I think that it's, it's just one of those things when you – you need to, I am a big narrator of my life. I don't need anybody to speak for me. Mm -hmm. If anybody ever walks up to you and says, Lisa said, you know that's incorrect. Mm -hmm. I'm just that person. I don't need you to speak for me. Even when it's hard and I don't want to say it, I'll still say it. Even if I can't pronounce the word right, or if it's going to come out wrong, or if my voice is shaky, I'll still say it. Because at the end of the day, I don't want anybody else to represent me the way I can represent myself, you know? Right, and I think that that's just something that you learn along the way because I wasn't that at 21 mm. or even shit 31. I mean, 32 was really my like, okay. Mm. I learned how to say no and be like, like, no, not kind of no, mm. not no, you can ask me later. No. <laughs> and it's funny. So a couple of things on, and I know you're going... Chop it up and do everything you're going to do. Chop it up. But what I'm going to do, because we know we're going to be getting together Sunday on Mixed Station Live Organic Radio Show at 115 1855 493 6499. You did it. I know, right? Yeah, we're getting better at this thing. I'm yeah. proud of you, bro. <laughs> that's a lot of memory. <laughs> that's no, a lot. but. But good for one of the things we want to do, because I think that's a good place to kind of end, because what what we are hoping to kind of get out of this and we're going to be continuing this conversation on Sunday. What's Sunday? What's the date? September the 9th, 9th at 115 um, on Mixed Station Radio. And now I'm trying to do the commercial. Live. I'm going to mess it up. I know. Mixed Station Radio Live. 
Um, but we'll be putting out some things and you can reach us on our Instagram page Facebook. at All Up In Your Business you podcast. Um, you can also reach us at light.inyourbiz or Lovely Brown. Um, you can also reach us at, on Facebook at All Up In Your Business. Thank you so much for listening to us. We'll see you soon. Peace. Gus, and we want to hear the- Thanks for listening to All Up In Your Business podcast with Light and Lovely. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out on Instagram at All Up In Your Business Podcast. That's A-L-L-U-P-N-U-R-B-I-Z-N-E-S-S Podcast or personally at Light In Your Biz, L-I-T-E dot N-U-R-B-I-Z or at Lovely Brown, L-O-V-E-L-I-B-R-O-W-N or on Facebook, just search for All Up In Your Business. Please leave us a review on the podcast you're listening to. We appreciate your support. Peace.